Amen. Lord, we thank you that it's so true that you're not a faraway, distant God, but your holiness surrounds us and indwells us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your love and your grace. We pray right now, as we go to your word, that you would be our teacher, that for the sake of your people, Lord, you'd use this imperfect vessel for your glory. Lord, I pray for each of us. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel again. And if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. If you do, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Uh, I want to encourage you to also read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for Sunday. It's always good if you read ahead, you get more out of the text. You'll be blessed. So, let's get you caught up. If you're, if you're new here, I first want to just say welcome, and I hope that you realize that, that you know, here at Calvary Chapel, we're all family. If you got Jesus in common, you got everything in common. If you got your hand up, somebody get him a Bible. And uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, Deuteronomy, as we've been talking about over the last five or six weeks, is a book about, basically the title means the second giving of the law. This is Moses' farewell address. Moses has been denied entrance into the promised land because of his disobedience. And as we come to Deuteronomy, really what it does is it summarizes much of the first four books of the Bible. It's the final book of the Law of Moses, or the Pentateuch. You ever that word penta means five, Pentateuch, five books. It's the last book of the Law of Moses, and again, it's Moses' farewell address to that generation that was about to enter in to the land of promise. So far in Deuteronomy, what he's done is looking back, he's reminded them of God's deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. He reminded them of God's promises and the disobedience and rebellion that caused the previous generation to die in the wilderness. He's reminding them of the mistakes they've made, but he also reminds them of the blessings that they had coming to them. He reminded them of the obedience and faith that defeated the giants in the land. And just how that that God had made this covenant to not just the generation before them, but the generation to them as well. And then we saw that He gave them not only commands, but again, He gave them promises. And we're going to talk about some of those tonight. Now last week, we got to the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting because in the world we live in today, there are very few absolutes. Amen? Amen? Everything's give and take and, you know, moral relativity. Whatever, hey, man, whatever, float your boat, man, go for it, right? If it's good for you, God bless that's great, right? And we have, especially here in Santa Cruz, we've got kind of that mentality. But the reality is there are absolutes, amen? And the Lord makes it very clear when He gives the Ten Commandments, He wants them to know that, look, I've given these to you not to bring you harm, not to bring a, a burden upon you, but to free you. And what the Ten Commandments work as, as we see in God's Word, it's, it's like a mirror. It says the law is a taskmaster that leads us to the cross. And when you look in that mirror, it reveals our sin and our need for a Savior. We also saw that he talked to them last week about the fear of God. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And if you remember how the Ten Commandments were given, it gives a lot of great credence to them. If you'll recall, they're all gathered at Mount Sinai and all of a sudden Almighty God shows up. Now when God shows up, you know it. Amen? And God literally... The glory of God fell on Mount Sinai, and then He spoke audibly to them. And they were so blown away, they said, get someone else to go, Moses, go talk to him, and you know, you come down and tell us what he says, because we can't take it, right? Now, do you think they had a little awe and reverence and fear for God? You know what? It would be great if God would come down on, you know, Santa Cruz County and speak audibly. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) Amen? 
But the reality is, everyone would die. But here's the thing. God is, desires to speak audibly to Santa Cruz County, but He wants to use us. Amen? And so He gives these commandments to them, and they, they understand, and He says, look, you need to keep these commandments. They're not the Ten Suggestions, they're the Ten Commandments. Amen? And while we are saved by grace, not of works, as any man should boast, at the same time, we look at the law of God and realize it's godly direction for our lives even now. So tonight's message, he has now explained the Ten Commandments. He went through the first four that represent man's representation with God. The last six representing man's reputation with each other. And when I was a youth pastor, I taught my kids how to, you know, it's interesting. I was at a pastor's conference. And someone said, I want someone to stand up and recite the Ten Commandments by heart. How many of you pastors could do that? And about 10% of them raised their hand. They couldn't do it in order. So I thought, man, if the pastors can't do it, I've got to teach the youth group. And so I figured out a way to do it real quickly. And again, I use signs. There shall, you shall have no other gods before me. I, for no graven image, L, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Here's the church, here's the steeple, right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your mother and father, that's an H. I'll go through these again sometime. Thou shalt not kill, right? <laughs> what would this be? Five-finger discount. Thou shalt not steal, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, this is yak, 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 right? And then a C, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's possessions. And those ten commandments are still valid. Now again, we're not saved by keeping the law. If we were, we'd all be in trouble, amen? Because we can't do it. But what the law does is it gives direction for our lives, how to walk in holiness before the Lord. Because the good news is in the old covenant, they had to try to keep the law, and they couldn't do it. We have the new covenant of Jesus Christ, and yes, we've been born again, and yes, by His grace we've been saved, not of works as any man should boast, but we still should walk in holiness before Him. So tonight, I entitled the message, For the Love of God. You've probably heard that term used, but not in the manner I'm going to use it, right? For the love of God, right? No, that's not what I'm talking about. For the love of God. What motivates us to obey? What motivates us to live holy lives before Him? And he's going to talk about the greatest commandment tonight. He's going to continue to emphasize the importance and the significance and blessings of walking in obedience to God's word and his commands. But he's also going to establish what Jesus would later refer to as the greatest of all the commandments. And this is a commandment in which all the other commandments are wrapped up. If we keep that one commandment, we'll keep all ten. And he, taught, and he says to them, they need to know that word in their hearts, to teach it to their children, to talk about it all day long, and that this obedience should have an impact on the world around them. So, tonight, for the love of God, we're going to first see exhorting them to make God's word the priority. You know what? We need to make God's word the priority in our lives. Amen? You know that 99% of the counseling I do is because people aren't making God's word the priority in their life? They come in and they say, well, but Pastor Dave, what the Bible says, well, yeah, I know, but, well, wait a minute. That's the end of the sentence. The Bible says, that's it. We're done, okay? Go now, right? I mean, the reality is, though, too often we want to argue with the Bible, but we need to establish the priority of God's Word in our hearts, in the lives of our children, in our own lives, and in our homes. And we're going to talk about that. Then secondly, we're going to talk about warnings about things that will cause us to forget God's command. One of the things that will cause us to forget God's commands are physical blessings. Too often, we get so blessed by the things of the world that we, we stop being desperate for God. Told you, you know, most of you were here when I talked about being in India and just how totally destitute these people are, but I'll tell you what, they're desperate for God. And we can be so blessed, we stop being desperate for God. A lack of godly fear 
can cause us to get our eyes off of God's will and His commands. False gods and disobedience. Then lastly, we're going to see the blessings of walking in obedience to God. And finally, God's command to, deli- to, to preach the truth to the next generation. So let's begin in verse 1 in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in a message titled, For the Love of God. First looking at exhorting them to make God's word the priority. Now this is the commandment. Now notice here he says, the commandment. In the original language, it's an emphasis that this is one commandment. Now he just gave them ten commandments, but now he says this is the commandment. You know those ten commandments I gave you? They're all valid, but let me tell you the commandment. Now again, this is the very same commandment that when the Pharisees came to Jesus. And they said, you know, which is the greatest of all the commandments? You've got to remember the Jews had about over, oh, nearly 300 laws and commandments. And they said to Jesus, which is the greatest of all of them? And Jesus answered and said to them, what? You shall love the Lord your God, heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all the commandments are wrapped up in these two. If you can keep these two, the rest of them will take care of themselves. And that's the commandment he's talking about. He says, now this is the commandment. And again, he's going to boil the law down into something very simple that we can grab a hold of. And he says, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you. Now the the statutes and the judgment is reference to the Ten Commandments. That's how we talked about them in the previous chapter. And one of the things I want to point out to you here is it says in the rest of that verse that you, to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over. Back in chapter 5, he told them first to hear the word, then he told them to learn the word, and then he told them to observe the word or to do the word. It's not enough for us guys to be Bible scholars. It's great to study God's Word. You know, very few people on the planet love the Bible. I love the Bible. Bible rocks. If you don't know that, it rocks, okay? Love the Bible. Great, great book. Because it's the living, breathing Word of God. And I, can't, I just can't spend enough time in it. One of my favorite things to do is spend time in God's Word. But you know what? If I just spend time in God's Word and all I do is deposit my knowledge in my head and it never transforms my life, it's meaningless. Because he said, don't just hear the Word and don't just learn the word, but observe the word. And that's what he says here, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over into. God's word is holy instruction and direction from our loving Father to us, His precious children. But sadly, many view God's word as a book of rules that limits how much fun we can have. Again, I've had people say to me, I don't read the Bible too much. I'm a Christian and I I believe in Jesus, but I don't like to read the Bible too much. Why? Because if I read it, then it'll tell me stuff I can't do, and then I can't do it anymore. And I'm like, wait a minute. So you'd stop reading the Bible because you're afraid you might read that it'll tell you you've got to quit, give up one of your habits? Yeah, man, if I read it, then I'm accountable. But if I don't read it, I'm not. I go, bro, you're accountable anyway. You're just ignorant. Amen? You need to understand that ignorance of the law is not forgiveness. And here's it. God's Word doesn't keep us from fun, but it keeps us from harm. Amen? It keeps us from being hurt by the things of this world. And it reveals our sinfulness and our complete inability to fulfill the law and our need for a Savior. So how do we hear the Word? We open it up. Daily devotions. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Get God's Word out and spend time in it. And you're not going to grow if you don't spend time in God's Word. Come to church like you have. Listen to tapes. Listen to Christian music and teaching on the radio. Then learn the Word. How do you, you've heard the Word. How do you learn the Word? You study that you might understand what you've heard. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by 
Word of God. And if you want to grow in your faith, you want to have greater faith, you want to have a deeper walk with God, it's not going to happen apart from His Word. You can't do it. The Bible says we're to desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. More than you like to eat. That's saying something, isn't it? More than you like to eat, you're supposed to love God's Word. And we've probably all got a ways to go on that one, amen? Observe the Word. Apply it to your life. The Lord said, if you love me, heed my words. Obedience is the highest form of worship. And then he says in the last part of that verse, into the land which you are crossing over to possess. Which land are they going into? The land of what? Land of milk and honey, the land of promise. They're getting ready to enter into the place they've been looking forward to as a people for hundreds of years. But, he, but often as Christians, we can make the mistake to think we've arrived. All right, God, behind all that, I got everything taken care of. I'm in the land flowing milk and honey. I'm set. And he says to them, when you get there, heed my word. When you arrive in the place that you think that is that ultimate destiny, you need to stay in my word. Not just meant to deliver us from the wilderness, but to keep us in the place of blessing. Not just obeying to earn something from God, but obey as an act of faith that God knows what is best for us. You know, I have to tell you, and, you know, and I want to say that I'm talking about myself too, but can I tell you the greatest frustration I have sometimes is when somebody comes to me and it is so clear what the Bible says and they just don't get it. And you're like, dude, you have... But no, I got some special circumstances. You don't understand, Pastor Dave. I've talked about this before. You know, the loophole in the Bible. But, but, I, you know, but my circumstances are different. You guys all deal with that with your kids, right? You tell your kids what to do, but, but wait a minute. You got, listen, hear me out. I got some problems, and here's my situation. But the Lord is telling us that as we move into the land of promise, and as we draw near to Him, that obedience never stops. That we are to continue to obey and pursue holiness and love Him more and more. And you know what? As you grow in your relationship with God, you should pursue holiness more, not less. You know, there was a guy that I met who had been a Christian for about 50 years, and he told me, well, you know what? I'm to the point now where I don't need church anymore. I've been through the Bible about 30 times, and I'm done. I said, you're breathing, bro. You're not done. Amen? I mean, if God's through with you, you'd be in heaven. And until, you're, until God's through with you, He still has things He wants to do in your life. And He's telling these guys, you're getting ready to cross over, but you continue to observe the Word. You continue to be desperate for Me. You continue to seek My face. Verse 2. That you may fear the Lord. The word here is for fears to have awe and reverence of God's greatness, His holiness, and His power. The voice of Sinai was still ringing in their ears. And that should have been enough. You know what? You hear God's voice. But you know what's interesting? About 40 days after they heard God's voice from Sinai, what did they do? They made a golden calf. And you think, hello? I mean, how thick are you people, right? God speaks to the, from the mountain. I can't, you know, don't try to do God's voice because it's weak. You can't do it. But here's the thing. God's voice, can you imagine? And they're, oh, right? And then 40 days later, make us a golden calf. Because we need something tangible we can touch. You know when we get caught up in idol worship? When we are not satisfied in our own intimate walk with the Lord. If we have intimacy with Him, we don't need an idol. We just need Jesus. And He says that you may fear the Lord, have holy fear of God's righteous judgment against sin. It's another thing that's an epidemic in the church today. A lot of times, you know, I think Satan's biggest whisper in the ear of Christians is, go ahead and do it, God will forgive you. Anybody else ever heard that besides me? Am I the only one? Right? Go ahead and do it, you're forgiven, right? Didn't He say, it is finished, the tell die, you're going to heaven, right? All right? You know, that's the enemy. He's over here and he's just telling, right? And he's telling you all this stuff because you can just go ahead and live that way. And here's the reality. If you've been born again, you are going to heaven. But do you know you can have a saved soul and a wasted life? 
I truly believe that. I believe that you can have a life that impacts eternity in a great and a mighty way, or you can get into heaven as by fire, as some would say, right? Tail smoking. You smell like hell. You're not there, but you smell like it. And the reality is that too often we, we get satisfied with the get out of hell free card. We get satisfied with the, you know, I've been saved, but there's no desire and passion to live holy lives. And he's saying the fear of the Lord. We need to have fear and awe and reverence for Him. We need to realize how great and awesome our God is and not take sin for granted. You know what? When you're, there is no fear of God, there is foolish behavior. When there's no fear of God, there's no fear of judgment, there's no fear of sin's consequences, and living is based on our emotions and our desires, and the end result is always destruction. Look what he says there. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and commandments. Now wait a minute. We're going into the land of promise. So aren't we done? No. Continue to walk in obedience because remember, obedience is not a report card. Obedience is not you earning God's favor somehow. I'm going to obey, then God will give me stuff. Right? If I just do good things, then, then God will owe me. I got, I got, man, I went down fed the homeless. Um, God owes me some stuff, right? <laughs> and we get that way sometimes. We think that there's like this scale, right? All the good things I do and the bad things I do, and hopefully I do more good than bad, and maybe God grades on a curve, right? Right? You got, you know, saints up here, and you got, you know, uh, Osama bin Laden down here, and I'm sure I'm closer to, you know, and, and we think that God grades on a curve, and we think that obedience is just kind of a, a report card. But obedience is in response to God's love for us and realization that He knows what's best for us. And He says here that you may fear God, you may keep His commandments, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. You, your son, and your grandson. God commands us to not only observe the Word of God, to learn the Word of God, to know the Word of God, but to hand it down to the next generation. You know, God's Word is just as applicable today as the day it was written. Amen? And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, that's another thing that's under challenge today. You know, these, quote, liberal theologians. You ever heard that term before? Liberal, I just call them heretics. But liberal theologians, (laughs) false prophets, heretics, it's all kind of the same thing. But here's the reality. Those who start to say, well, the Word of God is only relevant for the culture and the day and the time that it happened. And, you know, this is thousands of years later, and it's a different... Oh, so the God who put the stars in the sky couldn't preserve His Word? Is that what you're telling me? He, you know what? God's Word is still 100% pure. Amen? Amen? And there is not one contradiction. It's, as you've heard me say, 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And how is that possible? Because God wrote it. And you know what? We need to heed all of it today just the way that they did the day it was written. And he says, you need to hand it down to your kids. And you know what? My number one calling in life is to raise godly kids. Before I'm your pastor, I'm to be a godly husband and a godly dad. And I'm a godly dad and a godly husband who happens to be a pastor. That's what God's called me to be. And that God's called you to do the same. And he says to them, you need to hand it down to the next generation. You need to not... not Give the excuse of time and culture. God's Word is perfect. It's inerrant and it's applicable for today. And he says, look what happens when you obey. That your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you. You know what? God's covenant promises to the children of Israel were quite simple. If they obeyed God's command, their life would be long and filled with blessing. If they did not obey God's command, they could expect to be cursed. Here's the thing that always, again... People will come 
you, they've, had it, they've done it to you as well, they will disobey God's word on purpose. They'll just say, I don't care. I don't care what the Bible says, I'm doing it anyway. Then the consequences come and they blame God. Right? God, I thought you loved me. Yeah, I was out sleeping around and, and got two girls pregnant, now I got AIDS, but God, I thought you loved me. Well, duh, I loved you enough to tell you, be faithful to your wife. Amen? I loved you enough to bring conviction when you were tempted and to make the way of escape, and you said no. And too often we disobey God, the consequences come, and then we want to blame God for our consequences. It's not God's fault that you're reaping the consequences of your sin. It's your fault. Amen? When I sin and I reap the consequences, I'm not to be blaming God. I'm to be thanking God for His grace that He still loves me, even though I'm a knucklehead. Amen? Even though I continue in sin, God still loves me. And we see here that he's telling them, look, hand it down and know that if you're obedient to me, I'm going to prolong your days. I'm going to bless your life. Now, today we're in the new covenant and our sins are forgiven. And it's not about good works, but sin, disobedience, and rebellion still has consequences today. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. God didn't forbid sin. It's not bad because he forbid it. He forbid it because it will bring harm to us. I don't let my kids juggle knives. Why? Because I'm a no-fun bummer dad, right? No. Because I, I don't want to take them to the hospital with pieces of their body missing. And the same is true with God and the, and the commands He gives to us. It's, he says, you know, don't be unequally yoked to, together with unbelievers. To Him, that's don't juggle knives. I know what the result's going to be. And can you imagine going in and, you know, like, you know, have a four and five-year-old flipping knives across the kitchen, you know? And you go in and say, you guys are, but it's fun, right? And that's what we do. We say to God, but it's, you know, but God, I'm, I'm, I, it's, but it's so fun. And Lord, you know, you, you, you won't, won't withhold from me any good thing, and I, I just want to continue in it, and, you know, and, and then we, you know, lose three fingers, when, you know, catching the knife on the blade instead of the handle, and it's God's fault. And what God is telling them very clearly is, look, you're about to enter into the land of promise. You better keep your eyes on me. Stay desperate for me. Walk in obedience to me. And you know what? I'll bless you. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Why would we disobey God? You know why we disobey most often? One, of course, it's temptation. But a lot of times I think that we start to think we know better than God. We start to think that, you know what? Maybe God doesn't quite understand my circumstances. And then we say, well, you know, it's just this one time. It's not that big a deal. And then we go out and live contrary to his word. And sadly, we miss out on his highest. You know what? I just, my heart, my prayer every day is, Lord, you know, I want to be a man who walks in the center of your will. And I can't do it without you. But Lord, help me when temptation comes to flee. God loves you. He knows what's best for you. Trust him. He's not the God in the sky with a lightning bolt waiting for you to make a mistake. He's Abba Father who wants you to crawl into His lap and He wants to lead and guide and direct your life. Just like they had the cloud that led them, we have the Spirit that leads us. Just like they had the Shekinah glory in their presence, so too we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we should follow Him and trust Him. Look at verse 4. And then he says there, the rest of verse 3, sorry, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. I love that milk is a staple and honey is a luxury. And he says, you're going into a land where I'm going to take care of all your basic needs and I'm also going to bless you beyond that. A land flowing with milk and honey. And that's the God we serve. 
He wants to bless us. He wants to give us good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. But you know what? We also need to be willing to pray, Lord, if there's a gift that I want that will get my eyes off of you, don't give it to me. Amen? If it's something that's going to take my eyes away from you and get my focus on something else this world has to offer, don't give it to me. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is called the Shema. And it it means hear or listen up. This is the most quoted verse in the entire Bible by the Jewish people. They say it every morning and every night to this day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Children are taught in Jewish homes this verse before they're taught to count, to read, to write, what colors are, anything. The first thing they're taught is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, what I love about this is they're talking about the Trinity every time they say this and they don't even know it. The Jews who are waiting for the Messiah are speaking of the Trinity every time they quote this every morning and every single night. Now, it's interesting, as those of you who've been in the Old Testament, you've seen that every Old Testament feast points to Jesus, every one of them. And they have these feasts that they just don't get it. It's all about Jesus. Well, here they are, and they say this over and over. I was on a plane to Israel one time, and there's a bunch of Jewish people there, and they all got up during the flight and went over and started their prayers, and then they started saying this, Hero Israel. And I'm like, they're talking about the Trinity. Now, let me tell you how it speaks of the Trinity. It says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, the word there for one is ikad, which means a compound unity. It's in Genesis 2.24 where it says, and the two shall become one flesh. The two becoming one. Compound unity. Later, in speaking of the tabernacle, in Exodus, it says that all of the curtains will be drawn together, the 50 class will be drawn together, and this entire number will become one. A compound unity. A, uni- a unity made up of plurality. Many parts making one. That's this word. It's not the word for singular. It's a word for a compound unity. Many parts making one. It says there, the Lord our God, the Lord is a compound unity. The Lord is one. This is speaking clearly of the Trinity. Now, the other thing is the word for God there is Elohim. Elohim is plural, but in this sentence it's used in a singular way. It says the Lord our God, Jehovah our Elohim, Jehovah Echad, which Jehovah Lord is one. So he's saying the plural is one. He speaks of a plural word in a singular fashion. So he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, speaks clearly of the Trinity. And I love that you can go anywhere in the Bible, and people will try to, and and you'll see Jesus, and you'll see the Trinity all over the place. In Genesis 1, let us create man in what? In our image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that's what we see very clearly here. And it's quoted by the Jews today waiting for the Messiah. They're talking about the Trinity, and they don't even know it. Again, Elohim. And you know what's interesting? Even Jews will debate about that. I've talked to some Jewish people about this. I've said, you know, it's Elohim. What, what, what do you quote every morning? Oh, Shema. And what does it say? Jehovah, Elohim, Elohim is what? That's a plural, right? Well, yeah. But it, it says plural God is one. How does that work? Well, we don't understand. I said, I know. <laughs> Let me tell you. It's the Trinity, Amen. 
God in three persons, one God. Now, the greatest commandment, look at verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Later quoted by Jesus again as the greatest commandment. Now notice there, he says, you shall love. You shall love. That makes love a verb, right? That means it's an action. It's not a feeling. I know you're singing, you know, butterflies and flowers and all that stuff, right? And the whole love, I'm in love, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? I was a, I was a youth pastor way too long. I could see it all over the room. We're in love, right? And the reality is it's this emotion that gets whipped up. And again, the emotion is real, but that's not love. That's heat, right? It's not love. You know, people say, oh, we're in love. No, you're in heat. Slow down, okay? But the reality is that love is an action. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. For God so loved the world that He gave. He so loved, He gave. And that's what love is. Love is a choice that produces an action. And He says there, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Again, it's an action on our part. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Choose to love and your feelings will follow. Again, marriage counseling. People say, I'm, on, I'm not in love with him anymore. I'm, I fell out of love. You can't fall out of love. You can choose not to love somebody. You know what? Choose to love and God will bring the feelings with it. Amen? I'm going to love you. I don't care. I'm choosing to love you. And the word for love there is agape. Choose to love. It's selfless love. Not Aaron, selfish love, where it's all about me, but agape, selfless love, where it's all about you. It's loving somebody outside of yourself more than yourself. For God so agape the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And He tells us to agape others. And you know what God wants from us? He wants one thing. He wants us to love Him. And you know what? Is there anybody more easy to love than our God? He's the most awesome God. He's awesome. He's so great. He loves you so much. He'd rather die than live without you. How can we not love Him? And all He says is, I just want you to love me. Now, often we think that God has a list of 9,000 things He wants from us. You do this and this, right? I cross them off, right? And we think that we're earning our, our salvation. But all God wants, just love me. Because if you love Him, the rest of it will take care of itself. Amen? If you fall in love with the Lord, everything else will be a natural outpouring of what's in your heart. And I love this. All God wants is our love. When we really love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then everything else will freely be given to God. He says there, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Basically, all that's within you, all of your inner person, completely yielded to God, open to His Word, ministered to by His Spirit. And when you do that, your feelings will follow. Remember, all of the commandments are wrapped, us, wrapped up in this one. We looked at the Ten Commandments last week. And if you love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, then you're not going to have other gods. Amen? Right. You're not going to make idols. If you love God, you're not going to curse His name. If you love your neighbor, you won't kill him. Amen? <laughs> you don't have to keep Ten Commandments. you got one. Just love God and love people and you're set. Amen? And when you love God and love people supernaturally, then out of you is going to flow, you know, that living water that's going to transform lives all around you. So just begin. And you know what? I have Christians and people I meet that they just walk around like they've been sucking on a lemon, right? You met these people? Yeah, I'm in love with the Lord, man. I'm studying the Word right now. You know. Dude, 
Where's the joy? Amen? No joy, no peace, no love. Just walking around. Oh, yeah, I've been studying the Word. I'm just under the bond, you know, I'm bearing my burden. I'm bearing the cross for Christ. That's, not, that's out of context. Amen? He bore the cross for us. Amen? And we are to have love and joy and peace and kindness, not lemon sucking and pain and suffering and, oh, what a bummer. And oh, I want to know Jesus like you do, bro, whatever you got, right? No. Man, we should have joy that people see us and they're provoked to jealousy. Man, what do you have? I got Jesus. I have a relationship with the creator of the universe. It doesn't matter if my house burns down. It doesn't matter what, you know, diagnose me with cancer. You know what? Hold a gun to my head. You can't threaten me with heaven. Amen. Nothing that you can do to me can take away the best thing in the world that belongs to me. And there's a joy that comes. And sadly, people walk around with this burden and they're overwhelmed. And, you know, some people have come to our church from other churches in town and they're just so burdened. They walk in the door and they just, oh, because they're in a church where they're taught, you've got to do this. If you don't, God won't. And then you've got to do this. And you've got to keep these rules. And if you don't, you're not going to get in. Man, what a heavy life to live. Can you imagine? Imagine every day wondering if you're saved or not. Am I maybe not? What? You know, right? Can you imagine? I gotta keep. I gotta keep more. I gotta knock on more doors. I want to be one of the hundred forty-four thousand. Well, you're not gonna be because those are twelve thousand Jews of each of the twelve tribes. Right? Not gonna be you. By the way, we don't inherit the earth. I told I had JWs knock on my door. I said, "You guys can have it. I'm going to heaven, man. You want the earth? Keep it. All yours. Right? And there's gonna be 120 pound hailstones falling from the sky. So you won't want to be here. Right? Repent, okay? Kingdom of heaven is at hand. But here's the thing. God's word must be our priority. When we love the Lord, the word of God will be important to us. You know what? When you, when you were courting, those of you who are married, I mean, I could talk to my wife on the phone for eight hours. I just talk. Now, now she says, what happened to that guy? But no, here's the thing. You know how it was? You just sit and talk, and now I come home and I'm done, right? But here's the thing. The reality is that we would talk and, you know, just every word was important. You just wanted to hear everything they had to say and tell me about yourself. And you're just so enamored, right? And you know what? That's the way we ought to be with God. Lord, every word, everything you have to say, I want to hear. Because you love me and I love you. Verse 6, and these words I command you today shall be in your heart. God's word must be the priority in their hearts. Psalm 119 says, Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. More than just knowledge of God's word in our head, but the transforming work of God's word in our hearts. God writes us his word, writes his word upon his hearts that we might be living epistles that others can read. The Bible says, out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. You want to know what's in somebody's heart? Listen to what comes out of their mouth. Nothing slips out of your mouth, by the way. If it comes out, it's in your heart. Amen? Oh, it slipped out. No, it didn't. It's in there. It's been, it's been planted. It's bearing fruit in there. I'm telling you, right? It didn't slip out. And the reality is that if you want to know someone's heart, just listen to their words. And he says, my word I want, that I command you today shall be in your heart and will flow out of your mouth. So the priority of God's word in our hearts, but also it says there, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Teach them diligently. The word there can also be daily. It doesn't happen by accident that your kids grow up to love God. Now again, kids can grow up in a total train wreck of a house and God can do great things and you can raise your kids to love the Lord every day of your life and they have free will and they may choose to walk away. But you know what? I'm accountable to raise them to know Jesus Christ. Amen? And I believe that that is the greatest calling on my life. It requires a conscious decision and a concerted effort to get God's Word deep into the hearts of your children. It requires effort, but it's worth it. I remember my kids were little. 
I got an old flannel board. You ever seen those flannel boards with the flannel board stories? And my kids were one, two, three, and five, and six. And what I would do is we would, a couple times a week, we'd get the flannel board out and let one of them pick out the story of David and Goliath. Okay, we get David and Goliath out. And then I had each one of the kids lead us in a worship song. And I'm talking my 14-month-old, right? You know, I'm in Lord, I'm, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, sir, right? You know, and each of the kids. And it's just, I'll tell you what, those are some of the pre- most precious things. And my kids still remember, you know, the flannel board. It was great. And you know what? Uh, can I encourage it? Don't wait to start raising up your kids to love Jesus. And you know what? And it's not too late either. If your kids are 20, start now. Take them out, call them up, take them out to lunch and share Jesus with them. Have family devotions, have Bible stories, have prayer time. Have, we should write memory verses on the chalkboard. And I write the memory verse, and I come home from work every day, and they quote the memory verse, and I give them some kind of a treat. And you know what? Just get God's Word in their heart. Fill up their heart. Teach it to your children. God's Word needs to be a priority in the lives of our kids. God's word is the priority, not only with our children, but should be the priority in our lives as well. It says, and shall talk of them when we sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You think that's a complete list? He's saying, talk about me all the time. Just talk about me. Pray without ceasing and talk about me all the time. Amen? You know, again, when, when I got engaged, I loved introducing, I still do, I love introducing my family to people. I love bringing them into work. It's my wife, it's my kids, right? Because I love them. And I want everybody to know them. But you know what? I love my wife, I love God more. And I want to introduce them to my best friend. You want to be my best friend? Let me tell you about him. And I used to love to do that. When I was in Russia, I used to always use that as an analogy. I would tell them, I want to tell you the story about my best friend. Because this is in cities where they never heard the name of Jesus in many cases. And I'd tell them all about my best friend and how he died for me. And they would, people would be, wow. And I'd say, you know what? He wants to be your best friend too. And he can be. And you know what? That's our heart. Is that we got to walk everywhere we walk, everywhere we go, everywhere we sit. Jesus ought to be on our mind. Amen? Not just on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night. We ought to be talking about God, about His Word, in our home, everywhere we go. It needs to be the priority as we live our lives. Verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now again, the Jews kind of missed this one. Have you ever heard of a phylactery? You know what that is? It's a little box, and then they put Scripture in the box, and then they take a, like a headband, and they put the box right here. And then they tie it around their head, and it, right? Box right here. Well, put the Scripture between your eyes, so I'm putting a box right here with some Scripture in it. This is put it on your hand. So they take a thing, and they wrap it around their hand. They put a big box on their hand. i got Scripture on my hand and between my eyes. That's like studying for a test by putting your math book under your pillow, right? (laughs) Not doing you any good. He's saying have it before your eyes. Study it. Amen? Read it. Get to know it. Have God's Word in your hand. Have it near you. Study it. Read it. Know it. Remember when Jesus came and He blasted them for wearing phylacteries? you remember that? He goes, look at some of you guys. Because you know what they did to be more and more spiritual? The broader your phylactery, the more spiritual you were. I just imagine a guy with like a U-Haul box. You know what I mean? They go, whoa, you know, walking around. Yeah, I'm really spiritual, right? Can't you see it? Got a box on the saying, man, I love God, right? It's so sad. It's so sad. The things people will do. They took it literally, and Jesus said, guys, that's not what it's about. It's about knowing it in your heart. It's about spending time putting it before your eyes. It's about reading God's Word. You know what's interesting? That Satan will imitate this in the end times, because where the mark of the beast is going to go? On your hand or on your forehead, right? 
Have the Word of God before your eyes. No, I need the Word of God. Mark of the beast. Have the Word of God. Right? Isn't it amazing how Satan doesn't have one original thought? He, you know, he tries to do everything from the Word of God, and he's not God. That's why he's going to fail and be smoking for eternity. Verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, this is interesting because the Jews have something called a mezuzah. You ever heard of that? And they take these little things, and they, they put them in the doorpost, and then they take probably Deuteronomy 6.4, Hero Israel, right? And they stick that in the mezuzah, and then every time they walk in the house, they touch the mezuzah. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing if, it's, if every time you touched it, it reminded you of the Word of God. But can I encourage you? May we fill our houses with the Lord, as it says in this verse. You know, something my wife does that I love, we have, this, we have a stereo, and she leaves it on 24 hours a day on Christian music. And I'll walk in the house, nobody's home, and there's Christian music in our house. It's not playing real loud, but I'll tell you, it just blesses me. I walk in, Christian music. You know, one of our verses, are, it's probably everybody's verse in here, but Joshua 24, 15, yes, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? You call my house, guess what's on my answering machine? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You look all over the wall. As, now, it's not a super, it's not protecting me, you know what I mean? Ooh, got the banner up. It's, no, it's to remind me as I walk in the house what my life's all about. You know, that's what it's about. The music that we listen to, the, the, the Christian movies that we have, the videos that we have, the music, you know, all those things are as what this verse is talking about. You shall write them on the doorposts on your house and on your gates. God's word ought to be all around us. Again, it's so important that you and I not get our eyes off the Word of God. And again, may our houses be filled with the Lord. And the other thing on the, on, at the same time, guys, don't be cranking Christian music and having pornography in your house. Right? You know, we got this thing where we think, well, if I... No, you need to not only bring in what is godly, remove what is not. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Bring in what is godly and take out the stuff that's going to stumble you and get your eyes off the Lord. So it's so important that we be drawn near to Him, but we not allow the things that are around us to take our eyes off Him, exhorting them to make the Word of God the priority in their hearts, in their children, in their lives, in their homes. And He's going to warn them about the things that will cause them to forget about God's command. Look at verse 10. It shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, hewn out of wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. An inherent danger in the midst of God's blessings is that we forget about the bondage we've been delivered from and we forget about the one who's blessed us. We start taking credit for it. It says here they have vineyards they didn't plant. That's a pretty sweet program. Digging a well, you ever dug a well? I helped dig a well. No fun. That's no good, right? I'm glad, I don't, I'm glad I'm not a well digger for a living. That's no good, right? And you know what? Here's the reality. He says, you showed up and there's wells there. You showed up and there's vineyards there. It's all taken care of. And you go, man, this is sweet. God has blessed me. And it says, be careful that you don't forget about God now. Be careful that you don't forget about the fact that you were in bondage in Egypt and now you've been delivered and God's taking care of you. Don't allow physical blessing to cause you to have spiritual amnesia. Too often, again, we're so blessed by what God has given us that we forget about who gave it to us. May we remain desperate for God if we had, not gonna, any of us going to have to worry about it, but if you had $100 million in the bank, be desperate for God. Amen? Some of those people in India that I met, no electricity, living in a grass hut, kids with literally no clothes. And I mean no clothes, I mean no clothes. 
And they're richer than Bill Gates because they got Jesus. Amen? And that's really where riches come from. And so we need to remember that physical blessing should not be something that takes our eyes off of God. Verse 13. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and shall take oaths in His name. Things that may cause us to forget God's command is a lack of godly fear. Again, as we talked about at the beginning, it's an awe-filled respect, an inner repulsion at the idea of offending such a great and loving God who has done so much for us. You know what, as Christians, I believe the more we walk with God, the more sin will grieve us. I truly believe that. I truly believe we'll get to the point, I, I've sinned sometimes and it literally has made me sick. I mean, violently sick. I'm just so gripped. Lord, how in the world could I do that? Oh, forgive me. That's, you know what, praise God for conviction, amen? Because it draws us back into a right relationship. And praise God that He gives us fear, awe, and reverence for Him. You know, this is the very verse that Jesus quoted to Satan when Satan wanted him to worship him. Jesus said, you shall fear the Lord God and him only you shall serve. Don't serve anybody but God. Amen? Amen. Serve him alone and no one else. Verse 14 and 15. You shall not go after the other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused, and look at the rest of this verse, against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Whoa. Let me read that again. I'm underlying. Whoa, right? You shall not go after other gods or you're going to be destroyed from the face of the earth. You know what's amazing? Is they did a lot of that. Didn't they? Golden calf. Right? Then they went and they, they went. I mean, they kept making these gods. Building golden calves and building idols all over the place. And every time they did it, what happened? People died. And they kept doing it. And you think, thick, right? What's wrong with you guys? But you know what? May we not fall into the same trap. Again, the first two commandments, he's expounding on them. He makes it clear. You know what? He, does he know where they're headed? He knows they're getting ready to go into Canaan. They're going to walk in. And what are they going to see all around them? Idol worship. Everywhere. And he said, it's coming. I want you to be ready. And I want you to know that there's no room for compromise. Again, it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. It's not an excuse to sin. Amen? you got teenagers, you've heard that one. But everybody else, so what? Everybody in my whole school, well, they're all in sin, and you're not going to be doing that. Amen? And too often, we, we, we want to go with the flow, but the whole world's doing it. Everybody around us is doing it, so we should just, you know, come on, man, we're lighting up. If I have another mom or dad tell me to lighten up, then that happens all the time. Because I won't let my kids go do things that they, you know, what all the kids in the school are doing it. Well, I don't care. Because what, who, what is the authority in my life? It's God's Word. Amen? It's not the popularity of men. And sadly, what happens is we go with the culture, and before you know it, we're right there with the whole world doing everything the world does. Why are churches voting on whether or not to have homosexual pastors? Because they stopped reading the Bible. And they started flowing with the culture. Let's not flow with the culture. Let's stand on the Word of God. Amen? And what he's saying here to them is, look, you're getting ready to go in and they're going to be all around you. Don't fall for the trap. Verse 16. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted Him in Masa. Masa is a, means temptation or to test. And you know what happened? They didn't have any water, so they complained against the Lord and they demanded that God prove His love by doing what they wanted. That doesn't work out. You know, I hear people pray that way. Can I tell you something? Don't be demanding God to do anything. You don't tell God, He tells you. Amen? Prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes what? It changes our hearts. 
We're not saying, okay, God, now here's what you need to do. And I've heard people pray that way. I'm like, whoa, I must just, let me move on. Right? I mean, don't be demanding God. And I'm telling you, you need it right now. Whoa. Fear of God. Beginning of wisdom. Amen? Yeah, I come in, whoa, Lord, you know, you know your will be done, not mine. Amen? Lord, whatever you heart to, And again, they came with that attitude, and they tested God, and it didn't work out too well. We know what happened is many of them died because they tempted the Lord. They tested God. We are never to order God or to demand Him to do anything. So verses 10 through 16, warnings about things that will cause them to forget God's command and us, physical blessing, a lack of godly fear, false gods, and lastly, disobedience. Now verse 17 through 19, blessings of obedience. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God as testimonies, as statutes, which He has commanded you, and you shall do what is right, and good in the sight of the Lord, and it will be well with you. You know what? When we obey, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. If we will simply obey Him, God will do great and awesome things. Now today we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He leads us and He guides us and He directs us. And if we will simply obey, God will bring blessing upon our lives. And it may not be the kind of blessing you're looking for. Okay? I'm not talking about stuff. I'm not talking about Cadillac, Cadillac. I'm not naming and claiming or grabbing and blabbing or any of that kind of stuff. What I'm talking about is the kind of blessing where I come out closer to Him. Amen? I come out more like Him. Sin brings broken fellowship and consequences, and obedience brings forth good fruit in our lives. It says that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. Doing what is right, what does it do? It results in God giving you His highest, defeating the enemies that are before you. It allows you to escape temptation when it comes. And I want you to know this. Temptation and trials not only opportunities to fall, but they're opportunities to grow. Amen? Sometimes you think, why do I have to be tempted? Because if you weren't, you wouldn't grow. If there were no trials, you wouldn't grow. Without a test, you can have no testimony, Right? And it's through those tests and those trials that we grow. And you know what? Sometimes we think a test is only the big stuff. My health, my family, my finances, right? That's a test. And I, but you know what? I think these are tests too. A flat tire. How do you respond? Right? You know, right? If you, that, that's not, if you have a Christian fish in your car, and you're do, just take the fish off. You know what I'm saying? Don't get out of your car. And be, you know, a flat tire, a sudden illness, a lost wallet, an obnoxious waiter. How about that, right? A broken appliance, a traffic jam. You know what happens? You find out what's in your heart in the midst of trials. It's an opportunity for you to grow. All right, Lord, you know I was going to be here. It's okay. Lord, I trust you. You're in control. You know, one time, a guy I was witnessing to for the longest time who mocked me all the time, but I used to take him to lunch. Why? I don't know. I'd take him to lunch, he'd mock me. But I, I kept witnessing to this guy, and do you know what actually got him to come to church with me? I'm driving in my car, the road is really wet, and there's a blind hill. We go over this blind hill, and the traffic is stopped all the way out into the intersection. So even though the light's green, there's cars in the intersection. And I go over the hill and slam right into a car. Just rear end it going 50. Car's crunched up, and you know. And I reach over, and I'm like, you okay, man? And he goes, it's like, yeah. We get out of the car. I'm like, dude, I, I didn't know you were going to get my insurance. He goes, dude, I'm going to church with you on Sunday. I go, Dude, I've been trying to get you to go for four years. What happened? He goes, I've never seen anybody not just blow a head gasket when they, tra- when they trash their car. I can't, and I'm thinking, I wasn't even trying to be a testimony. It's, you know what I mean? I witnessed to you. You tell me to get bent. My, I wrecked my car. You want to go to church. I can't figure it out. 
But the thing is that those tests are an opportunity for a testimony, amen? It's when you go through difficulty, people are watching, and God can be glorified. The way we respond in those circumstances and situations will indicate what's in our heart. And if we have the habit of thanking God in everything that comes our way, then the Holy Spirit's going to bless. You know what? Thank God for illnesses. Think I'm crazy? I'm not. I'm serious. Thank God when you got laid off. All right, Lord, this is a part of your plan. I don't understand it yet, but I trust you. Is God going to honor that? Thank God when all those difficulties come because God can use it for His glory. We're almost done. Last five verses here. It says there, When your sons ask you in the time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed us signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all the statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that we might preserve us alive as it is to this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. What is this father doing to his son? He's sharing the word of God and he's sharing his testimony in a sense, right? Here's where we were. This is what God did and here's where we are. Can I encourage you as parents? And maybe you need to, if your kids are small, you know, edit a little bit, but tell your kids how you got saved. I think it's so important to sit down with your kids and let them know how you got saved. What did God do to you? This is who I was. Here's what God did and here's who I am. And that's exactly what this father is doing here. How he came to know, how, we should tell our kids, how did we come to know Jesus? And you know what? We need to teach them that not only what God's word says, but the reason we should obey it. Not just, guys, can I tell you that I'm very guilty of this. My wife reminds me constantly that I'm just the Bible answer man, she says. You're being the Bible answer man. You know where you, the kids ask you something, I just quote a verse. There it is, walk away. My wife's like, you might want to follow that up. You know what I mean? <laughs> Quote the verse and then explain it to them. Amen? Well, can I go out? No, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. No, you're not, you know. But what? You know, sit down and explain it to them. Don't just tell them what the Word says. Tell them what the Word means. We need to teach them and be reminded ourselves that God's Word, commandments and statutes are not confining and restricting, but are blessing and freeing. Never have I ever heard anybody say, I'm so glad I sinned. You ever heard anybody say that? Man, I'm so stoked that I went out and sinned. It was great. Never. And I've never had anybody say, man, I'm so bummed that I obeyed God. I wish I'd never done that. I've never heard anybody say that. I've been with people on their deathbed many times. I've never had people say, I wish I'd sinned more. I've had people say, man, I wish I'd been a better dad. I wish I'd done more for the kingdom of God. I wish I'd prayed more. I wish I'd sought God's face more. I never hear, I wish I'd partied more. I wish I'd drank more. I wish I'd made more money. I wish I'd gotten a faster car or a bigger house. You never hear that. Because that's when you re- the reality is that it's about to come to an end. So don't think you can roll the dice and get away with sin. You're going to regret it. There's a huge lack of godly fear in the world today. May we not be among those. Deuteronomy is 30 chapters of him pleading with the people to serve God. He's pleading with them. We need to be pleading with others. We need to be pleading with ourselves. Amen? So in closing, Deuteronomy 6, for the love of God. He exhorts them to make God's word the priority in their hearts, in their children, in their lives, in their homes. He warns them about things that will cause them to forget God's command, 
Physical blessings will cause spiritual amnesia, a lack of godly fear, false gods, disobedience. He talks about the blessings of obedience. And finally, he commands a constant reminder to the generations that follow of how God delivered them. You know what? Why should we serve him? For the love of God. Amen? Why should we walk in holiness? For the love of God. Why should we be sharing our faith with the people that are going to hell without Jesus? For the love of God. It's the love of God that should, that should provoke us to do everything we do. Amen? Next time you need to make a major decision, think about that. Is this for the love of God or for the feeding of my flesh? Is this for the love of God or for my own glory? And you know what? If we pray and seek God's face and do everything we do for the love of God, He'll do great and awesome things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the fact that though written thousands of years ago, it applies to every life in this room tonight. Father, I pray for myself that, Lord, my motivation would always be out of my love for you. Lord, I pray for each of us. It wouldn't be for our glory but yours. It wouldn't be our will but yours. Father, I pray you'd help us to trust your word. And, and Lord, not to, to run away from you in times of difficulty, but to run to you. You're such a great God, a loving God, and a gracious God. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. And just help us, Father God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to walk in the center of your will. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. let's stand and close the worship song.